gather around the lamp an Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates Hello and welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast by under a gaslit lamp.com. We're, we're back after having to cancel last week's podcast. I wasn't very well and uh, Mark needed to finalise some paperwork for his passport. Uh, the reason why Mark needs a passport will be discussed towards the end of this podcast, so stay tuned to find out that. Um, we'll be discussing the Leicester loss shortly. Uh, we'll dive into the Sheffield United game. Um, we'll talk about some hot takes on social media and much more. Um, we won't really cover the Carabao Cup quarterfinal game against Liverpool. Um so we don't know exactly when this is going to go out. You know, it may go out before the game, in which case, let's hope we win. Um, it may go out after the game, in which case, let's hope we won. But we're pulling for Villa to find themselves in the semi-final. As always, I'm Regan. You can find me on Twitter, at FindFoy. And I'm joined by Mark. Oh, it's so good to be back, guys. What's going on? It's Mark Jarovi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. A lot of things have happened. I apologize for last week. I had some adult things to do. Not my favorite things to do, but then again, necessary. Again, we'll get on that closer towards the end of the podcast. But uh, can we get some uh, notes on the, you know, some uh, thoughts on a postcard about that Leicester performance? Villa just looked out of sorts to me, you know, without delving too too deep into it. Um, obviously we know how good of a team Leicester are and how good they're playing under Rodgers this season Um, and I expected a loss but I didn't expect such an embarrassment especially at home Um, and I I expected to see better against Sheffield United but was that necessarily the case? Yeah, for me, the Leicester game I I thought it was a pretty poor performance all around but again, we know how good Leicester is Um, I think Jamie Vardy is probably just hitting insane form right now. As, as so far, you know, a lot of other players for the Foxes. I, I just thought that, you know, uh, and Dean Smith said it after the Leicester game that he kind of had to put his foot up the ass of his players a little bit, and it was probably justified and needed. Um, they just can't be getting too down on themselves after that Leicester game. But, I mean, the Sheffield game wasn't – I mean, it, it was better, but it wasn't as it wasn't as bad. So, I, I mean – I don't know. There's there's still things to to be learned here, and I know people are sick of hearing that opinion. But at the same point in time, that's what the Premier League is, and you know we're just clawing for whatever we can get at this point. Yeah, I mean the the Sheffield game was probably the most boring Aston Villa game I've watched in recent time. Um, you know both both sides kind of tried to snuff each other out a bit. Um, you know that they, they wanted to go in at the break, especially you know after some. 10, 20 minutes have been played. They wanted to go in at the break, uh, to uh, having denied their opposition basically, and it, it drained. They drained each other out. You know, neither side um, registered a shot on target in the first half, and you know I feel like this was the 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 best option, uh, really, in the first half because you know you don't want to concede early. You can go in at half time and say, okay, you've done well. More of the same, please. Just more of an attacking approach in the second. Um, and that never really uh, 
That never never really came about, did it, in the second half? No, it didn't come about in the second half. And I'm pretty sure that was Dean Smith's point going into the first half. I'm pretty sure it was like, hey, you know, they can score goals from almost anywhere. Like, it's not just like, it's a team effort when it comes to Blades. So, um, yeah, their manager is just, he's so good at, um, like, making it hard for other teams to play against them. And they are playing, you know, with wing backs. It is a five at the back system. So for Villa, I think that they were just getting so trapped wide and then they would get wide and they weren't able to get the ball into the middle of the field once they got there. So yeah, that first 45 then, man, I'll tell you, that was some of the most boring football I've watched in a good, good long time. It didn't look like, um, it it just didn't have an entertaining value to it. Uh, Second and third passes weren't really linking up for either team. So, I mean, I think it was a well-deserved nil-nil going into the halftime but I I just I wanted to see a little bit more like I get what Dean Smith was trying to do and just kind of pack it in and almost try to like you said snuff out what Sheffield United uh do positively at the same point in time like with this team with what we've heard from Dean Smith and other members of the coaching staff there was no impetus on the fast counterattack. It seemed when we did get the ball in favorable positions, the Springer counterattack, everybody stopped. It seemed like Villa was more interested in slowing the game down. And against like a team against like Sheffield United, you can't really play that way because they're just going to stand there and look at you and be like, you're on the ball, do something with it. And in that first half, Villa just really didn't have anything going for him. Yeah, and you know the wing back system that Walder uses caused Villa problems. You know, hoop void. There was there was too often where there was a switch on allowing you know either Ender Stevens or Baldock to get a, a delivery into the box in both the first and the second half. Um, but especially in the first half, thankfully uh, Bjorn Engels and Courtney Hawes were switched on enough to clear most that came their way. Um, I was I was quite impressed with Courtney Hawes on his Premier League debut. You know he. I think he had a relatively strong show in. You know, he he was very lucky not to have uh, come away from the game being sent off for a very very high boot on uh, McGoldrick. But uh, in the first half, he made nine interceptions and won three out of four of his aerial duels, and I think he looked relatively comfortable again, uh, alongside Engels. Yeah, for me, I just thought he looked really calm and collected. And I think that's what you need when you have depth in a position to where you look for a guy like Tyron Minks to be the defensive titan back there. And and you want him to be the man. Unfortunately, Tyron's out. So it's that next man up mentality. And we know that Courtney Horse wants to come into this side by any means necessary, whether he's, you know, deputized at left back or whether he gets some actual minutes in the Premier League and, you know, more so for the Carabao Cup games or whatnot. But I think he looked really comfortable. He didn't look out of place. You see that sometime with defensive players in the Premier League league when they're called upon they may not be first second or even third choice they come in and look a little nervous I didn't think he looked nervous at all especially in the first half like you said the nine interceptions and 45 minutes of football not too bad from a center back making his Premier League debut so with Tyron Mings being out with a hamstring injury they're saying it's going to be the rest of the the rest of the year basically so look for Tyron Mings to come back in January but with hamstring injuries like you can have setbacks with those very easily so I'm looking forward to Tyron Mings coming back more so the middle of January than just like January 1st and all of a sudden he's back and everything's fine again and playing it takes a little while for hamstring injuries so you never know what's going to happen but yeah with Courtney Horst I I thought he had a really good game even in in even a game that ended up being a loss I think he played really really well yeah absolutely and you know while our centre-backs had a good first half Sheffield United centre-backs had a good first half as well. Um, You know, Wesley struggled to find much joy against the trio of United centre-backs. And, you know, this coupled with a couple of passes going astray. And it seemed like a general lack of belief going forward. 
um, you know, it equated to not much going on in front of goal for Aston Villa. Um, you know, did this worry you, or did you feel that the game plan was 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 as expected? I I think that it was mission accomplished for Dean Smith and the coaching staff. Come the you know come halftime where it's nil nil. I I think he knew that he had to play a certain way against a Sheffield side that has shown that they can win games in a lot of different fashions. So I think he was happy with getting that forty five minutes out of the way, and then he wanted to be a little bit more offensive in the uh, the second half. But again, like you need that attacking impetus, and with uh, Henry Lansbury coming into the side, I think he really, really thought that Henry'd be able to get a little bit more forward, spray balls a little bit more centrally to Wesley, get that thing on his chest and down to his foot, and spray it out to a winger. It just didn't come off um, in in this certain game for Henry. But I, I don't know. I think I think that was pretty much the game plan. I mean, yeah, not having a single shot on goal in the first half is worrying. But I think that both teams, I mean, both managers know how to grind out a result. So I, I don't know. I, I just think that that was the game plan all along going into halftime. Yeah, and, you know, went into halftime nil-nil. Um, and as we've already said, you know, there was, there was a real need to be more offensive uh, in the second half. Um, but it was Sheffield United who, who found the back of the net first. Uh, and I think that came in the 55th minute. Um, a very well-worked goal. Um, Chris Basham's back heel allowing Lundstrom time to pick out a low cross, uh, which found John Fleck, who side-footed in for the opener. And this kind of happened in a flash. I, I was watching, and I didn't really realise what had gone on. Um, you know, Courtney Hawes and Bjorn Engel didn't seem to really know what was going on either. Um, do you think this is more of like a mental lapse or just a really well-worked goal? Uh, I think that there's going to be opinion split on this specific goal and how it happened, why it happened and things like that. I think it was just a very, very slick back heel. Um, if you actually watch back on the goal and, you know, things always look worse or depending on, you know, what your bias is whenever you slow things down. But if you actually slow things down, when that back heel happens, like the minute he connects with that ball, um, the Aston Villa players are flat footed. They think that's they think that it, the ball's going the other way down the field. It was just a very very simple play. It was very slick. That is the kind of goal that Sheffield score. Um, it, it's just that individual piece of skill that you're not really ready for. And I think that's what happened because you know with the goal, the first goal from Fleck, basically that back heel happens. Now your defense is completely rooted. You know the cross comes in very very simple tap in goal. But that's what that's the kind of goals you have to create in the Premier League, especially a newly promoted side like Sheffield United. I'm a little jealous. I wish Villa would you know do have some individual um, points like that to where they're able to have like a back hill or like something cute a little bit more on on the flare side. But yeah, I thought it was a well worked goal. I think that again that's the kind of goals that Sheffield not only score you know. But they have to score that way. That's that's what they're built to do as individual players with individual moments of brilliance. Yeah, and I, it kind of woke Villa up a bit. Um, you know, if if you want to put it into like a metaphor, you know, it was it was like Villa's attacking impotence was or impetus, sorry, was was almost like frozen. Um, and and the opening goal for Sheffield United got almost like dethawed it, I guess. Um, and you know, soon after Sheffield went one 0 up, Villa had two really good chances. Um, Fifty five minutes gone, I think El Ghazi found Wesley, and uh, Wesley did really well. You know, he he held off Ender Stevens, got a shot off towards goal, but only found the side netting. Um, and regardless of the fact that he didn't find the back of the net, it 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 was a good sign. It was a positive sign, and that's something we need to see more of from Wesley. Yeah, for me, I think that's like. 
we always talk about the the maturation process in the Premier League for Wesley. He's a very, very big talking point when it comes with Aston Villa and Aston Villa supporters right now. But this very, very small passage of play, and yeah, he drove the ball into the side netting. He did not score a goal. But that whole thing of having the ball at his feet and being able to kind of like wrangle off a defender that's trying to get the ball from you, I like that. And I think that needs to happen more often, just him being afforded time in the box. And then once he gets it, he uses his strength. So... I don't know. It's another one of those things. It's still growing, and he's still just trying to do the best that he possibly can. I don't think that he's out there just being a card horse. You know, there's a lot of opinions. We'll get on the the knee-jerk reactionary comments from, you know, a a big percentage of the Aston Villa followers on social media. But I thought this specific uh, instance against Edna Stevens is promising for Wesley. Obviously, we want to see more from him, and I think that if if he can play, you know, in that way or if he can learn from, hey, when I'm in this position, maybe I need to do this a little bit different. I think it, it, it's only positives for Villa. Yeah, I mean, straight after that, um, Anwar tried to create again, and he, he crossed towards the back post where Jack Grealish was waiting, but he headed wide. Um, it, it brings me to something that I, I kind of want to make a point of. Um, I don't think that we should be heading, uh, sorry, throwing crosses into the box, high crosses, that is, uh, as I think, I think it is that we're the only, uh, only side in the entire league not to score a headed goal. Yeah, you're um, right. And yeah, yeah, you're completely right. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. Considering that we've got, you know, if Mings is fit, we've got a six foot five centre back, a six foot four centre back, a six foot three striker. You know, those are three players that should be heading, um, heading at least towards goal. Never mind heading goals in. Um, but I think, you know, we're not making the most of these high crosses on the vast majority of occasions and they're just flying over Wesley's head and out for a throw or out to the winger or whatever it might be. So why don't we try and play low bulleted crosses, you know, towards the face of goal? Um, I think the, the one time that I've seen a high cross fully pay off at its like, first opportunity to pay off was uh, El Ghazi's no-look against uh, Norwich. And Wesley chests it down and finishes. Um, but generally, we need to be playing low crosses across the face of goal. Um, you know, we saw it against Leicester. Uh, Target played one across the face of goal. Um, El Ghazi shouts to Wesley to leave it, and El Ghazi hits the bar. But you're more likely to score from that, especially with the way Villa, uh, Villa are playing, than a you know a high or lofted cross. For me, I think if you're snake bitten trying to do something, like I I would like to see a a little bit of a change. Um, I I like the Aston Villa, and this might be, you know, a little bit of me watching this team, I mean, this club rather, in the championship for the past couple of seasons. Um, I like the chaotic part of football. I like the whole, um, like, Tyra Minks spraying balls from the back, you know, try to win the second, third, fourth ball off of that. I like low crosses where it's like, just throw it in, see what happens. I, so that's just me personally. That's just my opinion. I like seeing things like that. I don't know if Dean Smith will change uh, his ideas of trying to put in high crosses. Again, you have you know players like Bjorn Ingles and Wesley and Tyron Mings when he's fit. You have taller players. And I'm pretty sure Bjorn Ingles, before we purchased him, I, I, I believe that he had a decent amount of goals from the center back position. You might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm so pretty sure he did. I think he had six. Yeah, it was like, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was like five or six that he had uh, before coming to Villa. So 
I don't know why it's a problem. I, I don't think it's the quality of the service. I, I just think that it's not working out. But again, like if you're snake bit and you're trying something that's just not working over and over and over again um, in terms of like a tactic of crossing. So yeah, maybe try, you know, low crosses. And I, I, I think that it would work. You know, we have some players that like to hang around the area a little bit on corners, especially. Um, so I, I don't know. If you fire it in there, create a little bit of a chaos. Maybe players like Wesley or even an on-running uh, Louise or Nakamba might be able to get on the end of it. So I don't know. I, for me, I think it's definitely something to look at. I'm just not sure if Dean Smith wants to wants to play that way. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Isn't it like you know? You hope that if you can see it as a fan, that the 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 coaches can see it. But it's whether they'll do anything about it or whether they'll stick to their guns. Um. After the hour mark, Dean decided to make some changes. Uh, Douglas Louise came on for Henry Lansbury and Jonathan Codger came on for Wesley. Uh, Lansbury didn't really have the best of games in a Villa shirt. You know, he's been looking good in the Carabao Cup. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many assists he's got. I think it's four or five uh, in the Carabao Cup. But he, he just didn't look like he was at the races, you know. In 68 minutes, he, I think, won 2 out of 10 of his duels, made 2 interceptions, uh, and made 7 passing errors um, out of his 27 passes. So I was expecting a bit more from, from Lansbury, if I was honest. I'm right there with you, and I actually tweeted about it before the game. I thought it was a wonderful inclusion to have Henry Lansbury in the side. Uh, I had a feeling that Dean Smith might try to make subtle little changes to uh, the starting 11 and the uh, the 18 going into this game. I thought that Henry Lansbury would use this as a platform to propel himself to the echelons of, hey, I'm here, please use me. You see what I'm doing in the cup competitions? But like you said, he just never got off to the races. It was kind of a little disheartening to see because I – I really like Henry Lansbury for his passing ability. Is he the fastest player out there? No. Is he the most defensively astute player out there? No. Um, but he, I think he does bring something in terms of his through-balling ability. And uh, I got a little bit of a stick from a couple people on Twitter after you know I said that I'm really happy about Henry Lansbury playing in this game. But I, I just think that if you have these players and then they're showing that they have they have the ability to do even one or two things very well and you know a couple other things not so well i think you have to give them a chance i think rotation's necessary with villa right now uh again dean you know he practices all the time or preaches all the time about you know if you train well and you show me something different in training you'll get you'll get your chance you just have to keep working hard so i i thought that you know this was it for lansbury uh, as far as i'm gonna get to this team i'm gonna try to stake my claim but I, I, again you know i mean only one in two of ten duels as, as a central mid in an area that you probably need to be a bit more attacking with Jack Grealish on the left. It, it just didn't it didn't come off for him. It, it was a shame, really. And you know, I know we've spoke about this, but where, where was Connor Hurrahan? I don't know. I, I I wanted him. I I don't see how he ever gets dropped off of the bench or in the starting eleven. I I think he's a monumental piece of of what Villa have to do going forward. I don't know if it was rotationary for the upcoming Liverpool game. Um, I I don't know what happened. I found it really really strange that the club did an interview with him on the official YouTube channel, um, and he said all these nice things about you know, uh, playing for Villa. He loves being here. You know the whole. Uh, you know, the, the obvious question he gets asked by everybody you've scored in, you know, the top four leagues in England and all this kind of stuff. And then the, the 18, the team sheet comes out against Sheffield and he's nowhere to be found. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what happened. I mean, do, do you think that Jorge is an important part of this team? Do you feel he should at least be on the bench for the, for this tough run? 
Absolutely, but you know, I I would think if he's been left out, he's either ill or injured, which begs the question: why the club consistently don't update us properly about our players? Well, their players, but there are players too. Yeah, and I I don't even care. Like you can you can tell me like, hey, Connor Hurian's got an upset stomach. He's he's sitting out today. Cool. All right, but let me know. Don't don't have the entire fan base up in wonderment about the fact of you you have this player that when he's in the team, Villa pick up points and all of a sudden he's not in the team he's not in the starting 11 or the bench and I, I think may, maybe that's why you saw Henry Lansbury maybe Connor does have the flu I hate speculating about things like this because you're right we should be more informed by the club of what's going on when situations like this happen especially for my opinion I mean I, I love higher hand I say it all the time but I, I think that we need to be a little bit more informed by the club about things like this when a player just all of a sudden becomes absent it's just it's a little bit shocking for me yeah, if he is ill, if he is um, injured, I just hope he's fit for the Norwich game, which I believe is on Boxing Day. Because he has a real knack of scoring against Norwich, as we've seen. scored against them this season. He scored against them two seasons ago. Got a hat-trick. So, you know, he has a real knack of scoring against Norwich. And if we're at home, I I'll, I would put money on him bagging again. Yeah, I just think free kick opportunities. We're a newly promoted side. I know a lot of people don't like hearing that, but we are. And, you know, we're not a very good <laughs> newly promoted side at the moment, at least. So, um, yeah, I just think from dead ball situations, free kicks, I want that delivery. I want him out on the pitch. And I know it's not fair to say, you know, other players should be dropped in favor of him. I just I still I, I remain my opinion. There's some chemistry out there between Jack Grealish, Connor Hirehan and John McGinn. And um, I, I, I think that that has to be that for me, at least that's that's the best chemistry you have in the team that's the spine of the you know members of the spine of the team that dean smith and suso and everybody else talked about all through the summer when we were bringing in all these multitude of players so i i just i hope villa gets back to that um i, I think it's it's tough sledding over the past couple of weeks but I'm, I'm remaining optimistic we can pick up points here in the next month and even if you know even if hurahan goes missing in a game he allows jack to come more centrally because when jack comes inside um, Connor moves out to the left, and they almost like, you know, they're almost dynamic in the way that they're swapping their positions, and it works. We've seen it work this season, so I don't understand why it's not bit like you know it, it's not being used or, or utilized more. But anyway, let's digress. Um, back to the Sheffield United game. Villa found themselves with a penalty with a quarter of an hour left after Matt Target's cross skipped up on, onto the arm of John Egan. And it left the referee with no choice but to, to consult VAR. Um, VAR awarded the penalty and uh, Jack Grealish stepped up and kind of summed up Villa's day. Um, you know, he, he spent ages picking the mud off his boots. And whilst he was doing that, I was kind of sat there like, yeah, he's missing this. I can just feel it. Um... Initially, I was asking why why Codger wasn't taking it. You know, he was our penalty taker in the championship before Tammy Abraham came, um, and then I thought perhaps you know it's not going to do him the world of good if he's had, you know, probably a collective ninety minutes of football all season and then he misses the penalty. Um, but yeah, I, the 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 penalty would have made things a little bit more interesting in the last fifteen or so minutes. But Villa just didn't look like they were going to score at all. Uh, on Saturday, and you know the full. I was happy when the full time whistle came. 
Yeah, I was kind of right there with you. I don't I don't think the energy level was there toward the latter stages of that second half against Blades. I I just I don't know the Jackie penalty. That's something where I know he want I know he's wearing the armband. I know you know the whole thing about Jack Grealish, but I think he almost have to, he almost has to go to Kaj, I think and be like, "Hey man, like this is this is your this is yours. It's not mine." And again, like him sitting on the ground and cleaning off his boots, that to me like signaled I was like, "This there's no way this ball's getting in the back of the net." And he clatters the crossbar and we all know what happens after, but it it's it's still one of those things. I just don't think it was enough on the day. I don't think the effort was there on the day. I don't think that um, maybe even the game plan from Smith. I think he knew what he wanted to do, going to Bromwell Lane and, and trying to put in a more defensively astute, maybe try to get out of there with, with a draw. But it, it definitely didn't look like a team that was that was um, of the proper mind to get three points on the day. No, absolutely not. Do you think, do you think there's a genuine concern uh, or cause for concern when it comes to Premier League survival yet? You know, personally for me, I think we look mid-January you know, we've got a run of games coming up against um, re- relegation candidates, basically. Southampton, Norwich, Watford. Um, then we face, uh, I think we've got Brighton again. Um, Watford again after that. Uh, Burnley. You know, they're, they're all games that are very winnable. And against teams that aren't necessarily in such good form, like Sheffield United, like Leicester, like Liverpool, City, Man United, etc., etc., um so what do you make of that oh man i'm a, I'm a little on the fence about it i mean the the result against leicester i could take that because of how good leicester are and i, I can watch that team i can watch leicester rather and know that they're that good it's not just like just seeing them on the table or anything and being like oh wow they're so high up this year i, I wonder what's going on with them like no i i can see that they're a very talented team brendan Rodgers has that team playing really well so that one didn't bug me as, as much as the sheffield uh result bothered me because i think that that's one of the I, and i know sheffield are you know up there on the table too and they're having a great season you know I, i'm respectful of that but villa need to take they're attacking they're they're attacking mindset the teams a lot more it's almost like the team doesn't know what their identity is and that's what it's starting to look like and that's not a good sign so i'm more worried about like the the nuances the little the little things that become the big things i'm more worried about that than i am about i'm, I'm not one of them people that thinks oh villa's going down that's it you know we're gonna lose all of our players the minute we go down and this that and the third i i just think people need to calm down it's we still have a transfer window to get through to see what this team's going to bring in um yeah, it's 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 been a bad run of games. I mean, we've won one and one one and drew one in the last five, so it's not a terrible terrible run of form. We have to start winning games. Um, I'm not for certain that Southampton's going to be as easy as people think it's going to be in terms of picking up points, but I'm I'm hopeful that this team starts to play a little better. I think if they can beat Liverpool, even though it's an under twenty, basically an under twenty one, under twenty three team that they're going to be playing, um, I'm hoping that that win somehow like just gives that good feeling back that, hey, we can win a football game, and then Villa go on a little bit of, of a more successful run of form, and I don't think they're going to, you know, magically pick up, you know, all these crazy amount of points in their next five games, but I, I just think Dean needs something to get these supporters to cheer about again and, and to be more hopeful about it, and I think the lack of that is why you're seeing all these crazy knee-jerk reactions on social media and fan pages and fan sites and stuff like that. It's just, it's getting a little, it's a little too early for it. I understand the frustration. We all want to see this team do well, but again, and uh, the multitude of Aston Villa supporters don't like hearing this, 17th is mission accomplished, and I, I, I can't say it more plain than that. 
Absolutely. Before we move on to the kind of like social media uproar, you you said something um, that Aston Villa don't look like a team with an identity, but that that's a key component of of our loss against Sheffield United. Sheffield United are a team with an identity. You know they've been playing in the same way under Wilder for you know f- three or four years now. Um, a lot of their team is the team that got them promoted, whereas Villa didn't have that luxury. Villa have had to build a new team, so they're still finding their identity, and it's a case of someone who knows, well, it's a side that knows who they are, how they can play, and what works, compared to a side that are still getting to grips with each other, never mind the league that they're in. I completely agree with you, and I think that's a symptom of a lot of people playing games like FIFA. And I know that, that it might sound ridiculous to some, but if honestly you think about it, you think you're going to bring in all these players, and bang, they just gel. And bang, they just know where each other where each other's going to be at, the tendencies, all that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's a lot deeper than what you see on the field. Like, this is a group of people who have never been together before. They've only been together for the past couple months or so. They're trying to be a cohesive unit. They're trying to do the best they can. But you know, like you said, the lack of an identity, a lot of the other teams that are even around Villa right now on the table, like they have an identity. They've, they've played with each other for many, many seasons. Uh, some, some of the coaches have been there for a long time. You know, Chris Wilder is a, a really, really good, talented head coach. You know, I know people like look at, oh, it's just Sheff- it's Sheffield. No, he's, he's a really, really good coach. He knows how he wants to play. The players have bought into the system. The players know what's ex- expected of them. There was a sound clip from him after the Villa game that uh, I can't remember what player it was. I think it was the one striker for Sheffield, but he said like he's not banging in goals, but he's helping us out with assists. And you know he he puts a shift in every game. And if you don't play a shift, you know you don't put in a shift for this team. The fan base is going to let you know it. And I think uh, right now there's there are players for Villa that we know what they're capable of. They're just not doing it for one reason or another because they it, it just comes right back to the identity thing. So I think it has a a, a lot to do with that with just not having an identity and not knowing what I, I don't want to say we don't know what our like strongest 11 is I'm not going that far into it but I definitely think there's a air of uh, of the FIFA syndrome I'm talking about by people thinking that this should have happened a lot quicker like there's no button you're going to press to be like oh well this team's going to play really good now because this guy's in the lineup no it's going to have to be a team effort it's going to have to be every single player no matter if you're playing or not pulling in the right direction working hard and training I know it seems like I'm getting off on a bit of a rant, but it's 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 hard to see. It's hard to understand some of the criticism that's going on right now with Aston Villa. Well, I genuinely don't think we know what our strongest eleven is because we've had games where you know certain midfield midfield combinations have worked, and we've had games where those same ones haven't worked. You know, we've had Trezeguet that has scored in his last three appearances, bar his substitute appearance against Sheffield United. Um, and he's not starting a game. You know, it's it's odd because, you know, you'd expect our strongest starting eleven to start, but it's not always the case. Um, but yeah, after after the game, you know, there's there's always going to be a slight social media uproar. But some of the stuff that was that was said is is you know is stupid. There's two main things that I, that I saw over over the weekend, and that was one uh, for Dean Smith to be sacked and for the likes of. Arteta or Pochettino or um, Ancelotti or you know anyone like that to replace him. If I had to give that a rating out of ten for for dumbness, that would be a ten. You know, Dean Smith just signed a brand new contract. I'm I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. I'm sorry. No, um, no, go for it. I mean, it, it's deserving of a rant. It really is. Dean Smith signed a brand new contract. He signed it what three weeks ago. Um, He's not going anywhere. If we're rock bottom, 
in you know February, but we've still got a chance of survival. He still won't go anywhere because the owners and Suso and Christian Perslow all think that he is the man to take us at least as far as he can get us, whether that's you know mid-table prem, whether that's Europe, whatever. He is the man to get us there. And I, I wrote about this at the start of the season, that we, we're in real need for a legacy at Aston Villa. So often we've just jumped the gun and got rid of a manager and it's not worked and it ends up being our downfall. You know, if we go down this season, you keep Dean, you keep the players that we've signed, or the vast majority of players that we've signed, you know, some of them will move on. Um, and, you know, what's to say he doesn't do a, a Sean Dyche? You know, Deutsch got promoted with Burnley, went there and got them back up, got, got them secure and then got them into Europe. You know, they didn't progress really far in Europe, but it happened. And that that's the key thing. You know, we're in real need of a legacy. And Dean Smith took the first step of that by getting us promoted. So just give him the season at the very, very least. I mean, I'm not going to agree with you just for the sake, the sake of agreeing with you. I, I just honestly do. Um, knee-jerk reactions are what got Aston Villa into the championship. If you really look back on, on the historical nature of the events that transpired to get this team, this wonderful, massive, massive football club, down into the second tier of English football, it was knee-jerk reactions. Weren't score, scoring goals. Go buy you know, a couple players that may have had a little bit of a scoring impetus. Pay crazy amounts of money for them pay it in installments so you don't have much money in the, in the latter parts of the years sacking coaches left and right it doesn't work you can't make knee-jerk reaction um decisions like that not as a business and, and not as a as a sporting team you can't do it um i think the claims for dean smith to be sacked and like you you said a couple of the coaches that i've seen that people want especially michael arteta i don't understand that i saw people saying that sam allardyce should come to the villa it'll be it'll be the thing that he always does he comes in and saves the team get out of here with that it's not gonna happen i understand people are frustrated i understand it's been a bad couple weeks for aston villa i don't think it's the end of the world i don't think it's the end of the season i think saying things like you want dean out it just it proves that you have an unrealistic expectation of what this season was always going to be you know, we had a spine of the team. We had to buy all these players. Dean's Dean's learning in the Premier League just like the players are. The coaching staff's learning in the Premier League just like the players are. It was never going to be this finish fourth, get into Europe kind of season. And I know it's easy to look at comparisons of Wolves and currently Sheffield and think that that's the way it has to be. No, just survive. Villa have to get back to being a Premier League standard team. That's not going to happen if you start hiring and firing coaches and bending off players. This team needs your support. They need you to cheer for them. They need to know that they're, you know, that you want them to do well. And the whole thing, like Wesley's never going to get subbed off at Villa Park until he starts scoring goals because the boos are going to rain down on him. Get behind him. I know it's frustrating. It's a little hard to watch sometimes, but these this knee jerk fire Dean Smith stuff. I'm not having any of that. No, absolutely not. And I think I think we've both ranted there and it's probably best to change the subject. Yeah, probably. Um, so we'll move on to something a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun maybe. Um, Dean Smith has been quoted uh, by Birmingham Live as saying that there won't be a huge raft of players signed in January and it'll just be fine-tuning, if anything. Um, so... If you had to pick one realistic signing for Villa in January, Mark, who would it be? 
I know he's had a bit of injury problems over the past month, and I know it's a, a lot of people think that it's it's not the answer. But I would like to see Rian Brewster uh, on loan from Liverpool. Uh, I think that he just has he's the total opposite of what Wesley brings, and that is not a knock on Wesley. I think Wesley does have strengths. I think he's getting better at those strengths. But I want a shorter, more pacier forward. I don't I don't think it's too much to ask for that. And in the event, I mean this this isn't outlandish to say. There's a guy in the under 23s. American-born Indiana Vasilev. He's been scoring goals. I, I I think it's a fair shout to call him up. I don't know where in the pecking order he actually lies, but the more people I talk to that are inside Villa and you know it's, watch this player on on a basis, I I think he would he would be able to come in. I'm not saying he's going to come in and set the world alight at 25 goals, but you know you at least may be able to get a cheaper option by just bringing up a player from the under 23s. Uh, what what do you think? What's your realistic signing for Villa in January? Um. Mine would be uh, Sean Weissman. Uh, we've been linked with uh, a player from the Austrian Bundesliga, and that's uh, Christoph Monschein. But uh, Sean Weissman is the, the, the better option for me. Uh, he's an Israeli forward. He's 23. Um, centre, centre forward. He's cheap. He'll, he'll, he'll come to the Premier League, I would think. Um, in 17 games... In the Austrian Bundesliga, he scored seventeen goals. Um, you know the, the the style of play is is you know exceptional. Um, he gets a, I think thirty one percent. I think thirty one thirty one percent of his uh, shots are goals. Sixty one percent of his shots are on target. He's averaging a goal a game uh, in the league, and you know. Other than in the league, um, you know he's he scored five goals in three appearances in the Austrian Cup, um, two goals in Europe. You know he's picking up assists as well. Um, I think I I did a quick Google of him earlier. Um, I think it was August. He scored four goals in thirty six minutes. You know it's not to say that he's just going to come in and drop that straight away in the Premier League, but he's you know he's a shorter faster forward that could play alongside Wesley. Um, you know, we, we saw, uh, I, I can never pronounce his name, Iheanacho and Vardy for Leicester and how well that worked in a kind of diamond formation. So we could totally use Wesley and Sean Weissman um, together. And, you know, the, the, the fact is that Weissman is less of a risk. Um, you know, I think he has a market value of a million I I think it's either pounds or euros. You know, we we pay anywhere between you know one and a half million to five million for this player. It's much less of a risk than loaning Rian Brewster and him being injured. Sorry, Mark. Um, or you know signing Alfredo Morelos uh, for thirty million and he flops, or signing you know an older gun like Giroud and he flops. Or, you know, loaning in Batshuayi and, you know, it happens again, like with Abraham, and he scores loads, but then we can't sign in the next season. So for me, signing someone that's unproven in the Prem, but is killing it in a European league is the the most ideal option. Yeah, I mean, I... I be honest with you, I've never heard of the player. I'm going to do a little bit of, of, of digging to see what he's all about. But you're right. I don't think that Villa spend as much money as people are going to want them to come January. 
I think it's very obvious now that they're going to bring in a striker. It's just a matter of whom. But again, if it can be one of those low risk, high reward things where Villa can maybe spend five, six million and get a player who, yeah, maybe they've never played in the Premier League before. And I know we have a lot of those, but goal scoring is goal scoring. There's an art to it. So um, even even at the risk, I just don't want Villa going out and blowing twenty twenty five million dollars on maybe a little bit older Premier League standard striker, kind of like Giroud. Um, I don't think that that helps matters at all. I think you're going to need to bring someone in who wants to come to the Premier League with Aston Villa and wants to mature with Villa. So if we can get someone even on, like you said, like a five million dollar for a striker that maybe no one's ever heard before, uh, but is doing really well, you know, in whatever league they play in. Um, I just I don't see Villa spending a lot of money and I know a lot of people want them to I don't think so financial fair play is still a very real thing I think that Villa spent a lot of the money that they're going to gain this season in TV revenue and things of the like on the players already that they signed in the summer so I think it's going to be a little tough Uh, I can see one or two exits for Aston Villa in January but it's not going to be a substantial amount of money that's going to allow them to make a 20 25 30 million dollar signing yeah, I mean, the, the Voiceman, I, I really hadn't heard too much about him. Um, but he he's he's decent. He's got a look visually of Eden Hazard. And, you know, you can't judge a player off, off his looks or his visuals. But he looks he looks a good, good forward. You know, he scored against Roma in the Europa League. And Roma are known for having a relatively astute defence, even if it does consist of... Uh, Chris Smalling, who is actually doing quite well in the Serie A at the moment, um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's worth taking a risk. You know, the, the amount of players that have it, for me for me it's a risk like Weissman, or you're paying above board for someone like Ollie Watkins from Brentford. I don't think we're going to sign a proven Premier League forward because it'll just cost too much. Yeah, I think it'll cost too much too. And I again, we get the whole oh well, we've got new owners, we've got this infinite bankroll. No, no, it's it doesn't work that way. You still have to adhere to FFP. Um, financial fair play is definitely a real thing. And I think for this season, I think Villa need to get through January spending as little as possible to keep that off their backs. Um, again, probably not a popular thing to say, but I, I do find that it's the truth. I can see Kalinic going in January. Uh, I can see Kaja going in January. So, but again, you're not going to get any kind of crazy money from those players to somehow like raise funds for this $25, $30 million striker. I just don't see it. If Villa happen to pull it off and they can still maintain within safe parameters financially, cool. But I just don't see it happening. I think Dean Smith wants to move forward with the the very, very big majority of the team that he has right now. Absolutely. Um, Before we kind of pull this to a close, uh, do you want to share... The, the the news that we've been making everybody wait for <laughs> yeah so um over the past week i had to get my passport in order i'm going to be coming over to england on april 25th that is the crystal palace game at home at villa park it'll be my very very first time in england it'll be my very first time in brom it'll be my very first time at villa park i'm really really excited about it i'll only be in probably about four or five days i haven't i got the time off work but i'm not sure if i'm gonna leave a day early due to just making sure i get home and rested after jet lag and whatnot but um yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you know, it's going to be cool for you know me not only as a you know a co-owner of uh, under a gaslit lamp, but also as a uh, Pittsburgh Lions Club chairman. Uh, 
so that's going to be a really cool thing to go over there and uh yeah i'm just i'm really excited about it it's months away but i'm still like super excited about it to the people that have reached out to me i, I said something on twitter about it this past week thanks so much i mean i wasn't really expecting that kind of uh that kind of reception i'm just average guy that loves the villa over here in the states but uh yeah i'm looking forward to coming over and trying all the english things i've, I've heard about and the, the things that we don't have here and uh yeah it'll be a good time really excited you forgot the most important thing of that and that's seeing my preface well yeah i mean that's just that, that's just gonna happen regardless but uh yeah i would i would love to try and set something up for like a live podcast i mean i know that uh our friends over at the Villa View did that this past year. It probably won't be anything on that magnitude, but uh, yeah, if anyone out there has any interest in that, let us know. Shoot us a message or you know, tweet at us and uh, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is probably the best place to end this week's podcast. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, there's more where that came from. We'll have our Aston Villa Women podcast uh, uploaded at a similar time to this one. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us you know a like, a subscribe, a comment, a rating, all that jazz on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Facebook forward slash Under a Gaslit Lamp, on Instagram at Under a Gaslit Lamp, and you can keep up to date with all the latest Aston Villa news and opinion on www.underagaslitlamp.com. Thanks for listening and up the villa. <laughs>